Now, if you would this morning uh, turn to the book of Matthew, we'll be in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 22 through 33. This is a very familiar story, a story that um, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably heard a lot, and it's a story that is uh, very um, uh, just wondrous in so many ways. And so, let us look at Matthew 14 here as we read here in just a few moments. Again, we'll be at verse 22. So I want you to think about this word doubt. Doubt. Writer Michael Novak says that doubt is not so much a dividing line that separates people into different camps as it is a razor's edge that runs through every soul. Many believers tend to think doubters are given over to meaninglessness, moral confusion, and despair. Many doubters assume believers are non-thinking, dogmatic, judgmental moralizers. But the reality is, we all have believing and doubting inside of us, for we all have the same contradictory information to work with. So what do you think about that statement? I think it's interesting. I think it's, it's, it's fascinating. It might be a fair assessment, but it could very well be very much off base. Doubt is something that we can struggle with very much. It's true that even here, some of you here may struggle with that. Some of you at home may struggle with that. And so our text today, as we will read about doubt, it will give us some light, shed some light on the issue, and then give us hope for this unwanted entity that we can be plagued by. So let's look at Matthew 14, 22 through 33, and, and consider these words that Matthew wrote. Verse 22, immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray to, um, by himself. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not fear. And Peter assured him, Lord, I'm sorry, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. 
This is the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask that it would penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds, that we would better understand you, ourselves, and better walk this journey of life as we walk toward home. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our reading today, we see separation. We see a violent storm. We see stress. We see fright. We see reassurance. We see wavering. And in the end, we see worship. In the center of all this, though, is doubt. In the center of it all is doubt. The wavering doubt of Peter. Peter is not only... Or, or I should say, not the only one in Scriptures to doubt. You may remember Abraham and Sarah who doubted God's promises. You may remember Gideon who doubted that God could use him. What about John the Baptist? He doubted if Jesus was the Messiah when he was in prison. And how about Thomas? Thomas always comes to mind when we think about doubt. So, as Jesus asked the question of Peter, why did you doubt? He is actually asking this question of us as well. This story here is for the purpose, and I I doubt that this story here is for the purpose of, of helping us show what a knucklehead Peter was. It's really a purpose to show us a reflection of ourselves, to help us deal with our doubt. Doubt can have various spectrums within our own hearts. Uh, Some may struggle with it in terms of varying degrees, while others seem to not struggle with it at all. Some will admit this struggle that they have, and others will not due to perhaps pride or fear. Whatever the case is, this passage today will help us to understand what doubt is and what to do with it. So we're going to look at today two major points, and those are what sets the stage for doubt in our lives. What is it that sets the stage of doubts? And then secondly, um, wavering doubt and divine help we all have. The wavering doubt that's there And the divine help we all have. So what sets the stage of doubt in our lives as we look at 22 through 25? Um, This story is actually an incredible reflection of everyday life for fallen humanity. Uh, Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had been uh, killed. And so it's earlier in the day, or earlier, I guess, the day before, he had heard that that, uh, John the Baptist had been killed. And Jesus decided to withdraw from the the place where he was and go to a desolate place all by himself. So he went out on a boat and he came around a little bit or however far he went. And people heard where he was going. And so naturally they wanted to see him. And so people from all over the villages came out to meet with him. And so as he was coming back into shore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them. And he healed them. He, he, he loved them. He healed the sick. He touched them. He may have even taught, although this passage doesn't say. And as evening came, he ended up feeding them. You may remember, there were five fish, 
two loaves of bread, 5,000 men along with women and children added to that number. And still desiring some time to be alone, Jesus sent the disciples across the sea to the other side ahead of Him. And as He finished dismissing the crowds, He went up to the mountain and prayed. And boy, did He pray. Somewhere between six to ten hours He prayed. Can you imagine? I tried to imagine that this week. What would it be like to pray for a solid six to ten hours? Meanwhile, Back in the boat, the disciples were, the text says, a long way from shore. And it was dark and a storm arose. And it's interesting, we can hear the thunder a little bit in the background this morning. And, and you can imagine the thunder and the storm coming upon the lake there. And, and, the, and the boat was being beaten by the waves and the wind against them. So just think about the day that they were living in. Day in the life of the disciples, especially Peter here. We see sadness and uncertainty at the death of a prophet. We see the desire for seclusion to take it all in, but then people coming and desiring ministry from Jesus. And so Jesus has compassion. So after a long day of serving and interacting with people and helping Jesus, They saw the experience of a miracle of great proportions. And so, you know, there's there's need to take all this in. They want to take that in as well. But then Jesus says immediately, so suddenly, He kind of ushers them in to the boat to hit the sea and to row across. So there's no rest for these guys. So they're going across the lake. And as they go, a storm hits. I don't know if you've watched those movies, you know, those movies about ships at sea and the great shore, you know, the great, I'm sorry, the great billows that are coming and waves. There's a great little movie called The Finest Hours, and it's about a a rescue. And this is the one that I thought about the most because it's a rescue of a small boat, a small lifeboat where men go out to save the ship that had actually split in half because a nor'easter was coming up, hurricane force winds, waves huge, this big oil tanker splits in half, so they send the Coast Guard out to rescue these men. It's based on a true story that happened in the 50s, and Weber took three guys out on this little boat, and these huge waves they're riding through. I don't know what it was like for... The disciples at this time, but I imagine the waves were great and it was a very fearful situation. So think about the emotions that are going on here. There's sadness, there's exhaustion, there's wonder. Did did Jesus really just feed thousands of people with five fish and two loaves of bread? Did that really happen? The wind, the waves, the tiredness of the rowing, the fear. The reality, think about this, the reality that Jesus was not there with them. He was back praying. And so they're out there alone. For all they know, know, they're thinking, does he even know we're out here? Remember, there's another story about them being on the waves, and it's in Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus is on the boat with them when this is going on. And so he wakes up and he just stops the storm. But Jesus is not here. They were without Him. He was physically not with them. What were they to do? 
Why hadn't he just come with them? You wonder if they thought that. Or think about this. In obedience to Jesus, could these people very well die in obedience to him as they were sent out on that boat? Why are they in this situation? Could it be a testing of their faith? Why was this going on? According to Merriam-Webster, doubt is to call into question the truth of, to be uncertain. It is also to demonstrate a lack of confidence. So back to our question, what sets the stage of doubt for any of us? Is it not the stuff of earth and all its pulling at us, and all its exhaustion and weariness and emotion that goes with life in a fallen world? You know, when we begin to consider life and Scriptures and Jesus searchingly, we will often find lingering shadows of questions, of uncertainties, of hesitancies, all of All of which make uh, us sadly aware of the gravitational pull of doubt that is often off in the distance pulling us away from the faithful path of life that we have been given from God. John Frame notes that the Bible itself presents doubt largely negatively. It is a spiritual impediment. An obstacle to doing God's work. It is the opposite of of faith. Doubt can be crippling in a way that undermines our relationship with God. If we are constantly doubting His Word or wondering if He will fulfill His promises or are cynical of His stated intentions, it's difficult to grow spiritually, isn't it? At the same time, doubt or uncertainty isn't always bad. It can often be productive as it drives us to a deeper study of investigating the things of God. Some of my greatest growth in my Christian walk were at times when I came across a question or something that I thought the Bible couldn't answer. And so when those things have happened to me, what I do personally is I dive into the Word. I look, I search, I I go through things. I know there was one time I found, I thought, a a place where um, there were issues with what the Bible was teaching. And I was in Bible college and I just dove in and I searched and I dug. And you know what's so funny? I can't even remember what it was about now. Because I found the answers, and those answers were just put to rest for me. So doubt is not always bad. It can be productive to to drive us to deeper study, investigation of the things of God. Here's another thing. If we're absolutely convinced about everything beyond the shadow of a doubt, we may face an even bigger problem of arrogance and pride. Doubt humbles us. It reminds us that we are finite and that our knowledge is always subject to improvement and increase. Our knowledge is limited. Our knowledge is limited to the revelation that God gives us in His Word. You know, people today will debate the things of, of Genesis, and, and it's a difficult topic. You know why? Because no one was there by God. 
But he's told us that he made the heavens and the earth. We talked about it in a few, a few moments ago in, in our affirmation of faith. He made it out of nothing. He spoke it into being. That much is true. So what we have seen here is that doubt is taking ideas or truths familiar to us in terms of revelation of who God is and what He has revealed about Himself and we question them. We question them. These doubts can come from the midst of everyday life in a fallen world and the ups and downs and even the experience of some great work of God in our lives or in the world around us, we can come so quickly to doubt. We can be, at, like I still remember being at youth retreats, and Ron and I would be there, and we would tell these kids all the time, you will have a high this week, and when you go home, you'll go low. We would remind them of that every time. And sure enough, and in those low moments, guess what happens? Doubt will creep in. Doubt will show up. Finally, we have seen that all through uh, the Scriptures, the Scriptures present doubt negatively as mostly sinful and always as a spiritual impediment. It is not an issue that should, however, invalidate our profession of faith. It is something that should drive us toward Jesus, help us to see Him more clearly, Find more faith, more understanding, more grace. So now let's zoom in on Peter. Now that we've looked at doubt, let's look at him closer. Look at his struggle with wavering doubt and the divine help we all have. So let's look at this wavering doubt and that divine help in verses 25 through 33. In verse 25, we see the disciples are still in the boat. They're still in the storm. It's the fourth watch, which is between sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And things are about to get worse. Out of the darkness, they see a form coming toward them. And they look, and it's, it's like a form of a man. And it's coming at them. And so what's the problem here? Men don't walk on water, do they? And all those guys in that boat know that, especially those fishermen. Men don't walk on water. And so what, what is their, their, their heart that cries out at this point? And humorously, the only thing they can deduce is that they are seeing a disembodied spirit of some time. A ghost. A phantasma, if you will, in Greek. What is more remarkable though, more remarkable even than this, is a Peter's surprising proposal as he hears the word Words of Jesus, as he hears his voice, he asked him to go out and walk on the water with him. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I would love to know what's going on in Peter's mind, you know? I mean, I would love to try to understand that. What is Peter thinking? We know that Peter can sometimes be impulsive. He's an impulsive character prone to rash decisions and, and rash actions. It may be here that we are intended to see an example of not great faith, but of foolhardiness, of presumption, of wishing to share in Jesus' power over nature. On the other hand, we may be seeing the fishermen come out of Peter. We may be seeing the little boy come out of Peter. 
Man, I've always wanted to walk on water. I'm coming in, Jesus. I'm coming in, you know. Whatever the case may be, the fact that Jesus encouraged, he noticed, Jesus encouraged this attempt. And, and even the fact that it was initially successful suggests that it is genuine. It's a genuine act of faith in the end of it all. So now look closely with me at verse 28. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. So what happened here? What happened to Peter? Contradictory information went to work within him. He took the ideas of truth familiar to himself about who Jesus was and what he had done, and he questioned them. And comparing those to the wind and the waves around him and the possibility of drowning. When Jesus had said earlier to the disciples in the boat, Take heart, it is I. Do not worry and be afraid. It was a reminder to Peter that it was the Lord who had first called him as a disciple. And he had been guiding them step by step all the way up to this point. And he had given them many proofs of his power and his love. And they were not to be afraid. Think about what Peter knew of Jesus. Remember the great catch of fish that happened when Jesus first called him? What about the great wisdom and revelation and kingdom values in the teaching that Peter heard? He had witnessed Jesus heal lepers, the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the blind, the mute, the deformed. His power over creation, he had already witnessed as he calmed the storm uh, sometime in that boat before. And just the evening before, the feeding of the 5,000 with five fish, two loaves of bread. Not only 5,000, but the women and children there as well. He saw, he heard, he experienced the real Live Jesus. Yet his faith in Jesus, though strong enough to get him out of the boat and walking on water, was not strong enough to stand up to the storm, to the wind and the waves. Peter doesn't seem to believe that Jesus can act on his behalf. That Jesus' power can hold him up in his circumstances and fears. And so when Jesus asked that question of Peter, why did you doubt? I am almost certain it is not a rhetorical question. It is a question. I believe that Jesus would ask not only of Peter, but of us. That he would ask us to search our hearts and consider our answers. What is the answer that we would give to him? Look back down at verse 30. As we consider verse 30, think about the things that create doubt in you. 
the things that would stir your heart away from the Lord in terms of doubt. Look at verse 30. Look at the divine help that we all have in our doubts. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Think about what we are reading here. Peter, the fisherman by trade, one whom I'm sure was used to storms on a small fishing boat. He was out walking on the water and fear and waves take hold of him and he loses sight of Jesus and all that he knows about him. And his faith wavers. Though notice, not totally. His faith was not totally lost. What does he do? As he begins to sink, he cries out to Jesus for help. And what does Jesus do for Peter? He immediately reached out with his hand and takes hold of him. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we wrestle with the question that Jesus asks us is, do we trust Him in that way? Doesn't this passage give us hope that even in our doubts, even in the times when we, we say, Lord, how can I be sure we can cry out to Him and look to Him? And He will reach out His hand to us. This is what He's saying to us. I'll get you through. I will get you through. Now what's interesting to me is, is I don't see Peter in this passage as a burly old fisherman with a beard and all his muscles hanging out. You know, I see him as a little boy. A little boy who can't quite get over a gully. And so the little boy's there and his, and his dad and, and he are tracking alone. His dad sees that he can't get over the gully. He just reaches out and grabs his hand. He takes him over the gully. Maybe you've done that with your little children before. Whether it be a son or a daughter. You just reach out and you grab them. You help them up over that, you know, that curb that they can't get over when they're little kids. You know, that type of thing. That's how I see Peter in this passage. That Jesus just reaches out. Lovingly reaches out to help him without even a second thought. Think of it this way. Strictly speaking, it would not have been necessary for Jesus to reach out and rescue Peter. He could have just said, peace be still. Or, you know, stopped it and, and not have to have grabbed Peter. Hendrickson notes the methods that Jesus used was more reassuring much more of who the Lord truly is. Much more loving. Jesus wanted Peter to feel His love. As well as experience His power. So what we see is that even though Peter's faith wavered, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will never, ever, for those who are in Him by faith, no matter how small our faith is, Jesus will never let us go. He will never let us sink. So the question is, is, what are you going to do with this passage? How might, as, as we've been thinking about this and wrestling with this, how might the Holy Spirit be prickling at your heart this morning? How might this passage encourage you 
Let me give you a, a few things to take with you in your journey this week. First of all, believe in Jesus. Have faith with Him. That's where it starts. It starts with faith. And, and Peter, the fisherman, tells us that Jesus is real. And he really, that, that Peter did really walk on the water. He really did see Jesus coming toward him, walking on the water. And Jesus really did hold out His hand to keep him from sinking. This is the God. The God of all creation. When they got in the boat, if you look at verse 32, when they got in the boat, the storm stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped Him saying, what did they say? Truly, You are the Son of God. That's who that Jesus is. The Son of God. Come to take away the sins of the world. All power and might and glory belong to Him. If you are here today and you don't believe in Him, believe in Him. Peter and Matthew and the, and the disciples and all the other apostles. They give witness to Him. Believe in Him. Number two. Doubt your doubts before you doubt your beliefs. I want you to think about that one just for a moment. Doubt your doubts before you doubt your beliefs. When we're prone to doubt... We'll doubt what we believe in. And what I'm telling you is, is do a jiu-jitsu on that thing and doubt the doubt. Does that make sense? Doubt the doubt. I, I just find it amazing how many people will doubt. And, you know, especially unbelievers. And when I talk to them and I'm like, you know, I can doubt, your, I can doubt what you doubt really easily. And isn't that the truth? You know, I mean, how hard is it to truly believe, you know, in evolution? Good grief. <laughs> you know, how hard is it to doubt that? Very, it's not easy to doubt that. <laughs> and so, we're all doubting on the same level. So, doubt your doubts before you doubt your beliefs. Always look back to Jesus. See Him for who He is. Trust in Him for who He is. Trust in Him for what He's done. Take comfort in the fact that He knows your doubts even before you have them. He knows your faith. And He is ready. And He is willing to reach out with His hand and take hold of you in a moment's notice. He says... I'll get you through this. I will get you through. The third thing that I want you to take home with you today is, is how might uh, you be the hands of Jesus in another's life? How might you be the hands of Jesus in another's life? You may not have the doubts others have, therefore you may be the hands of Jesus that reaches out and touches with the love of Christ to give help, to give hope, to give assurance in times of doubt. Never doubt that the Lord can use you. Sometimes someone will come to you and say, I'm really struggling, I'm having doubts. Help them doubt their doubt. Does that make sense? Help them doubt their doubt. Be the hands of Jesus. He's using us every day. We are His ambassadors. I wonder if we think about that enough. What does it mean to be an ambassador 
for the Lord Jesus on this earth. Let Him use you to be the hands to reach out to help those who are sinking. Now as we close, I want you to think about those hands just for a moment. The hands of Jesus. I wonder as He grabbed Peter, did they still um, have that roughness to them, that callousness to them um, of, of the hands of a carpenter? I wonder. But as he grabbed Peter, what gentle hands he had. Never squeezing too hard, never touching too roughly, never overzealously grasping. You know, he didn't grasp him out. What powerful hands. Think about it. The, the trace of a single finger could restore sight to the blind. It could bring uh, life to the dead. It could heal a leper's skin. Or lift the doubting soul from sinking. Now those hands have been wounded, haven't they? Those hands have been wounded and they bear the scar of loving sacrifice. They bear those scars for you and for me. So as we call out to Him, as He reaches out to us, let us turn our doubts to faith and joy. Why? Because Jesus will get us through. Let's pray.